is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And this episode is sponsored by This Sounds Serious Podcast. And we're also your hosts. <laughs> oh yeah, we're your ghostesses. I'm Sabrina. And I'm Corinne. And we're going to get spooky this week. Yeah. Before yeah, yeah. we go into the topic, guess what I'm doing this weekend? What are you doing? I'm going to go see Ali Wong. She's that stand-up <gasps> comedian that I always reference. That you binge watch her... Yes, uh, if anyone hasn't watched her special on Netflix called yeah. Baby Cobra, go do that right now. How many it, times it, have you watched it? At least, at least five. Oh my gosh. Because I've watched it twice on my own, and then I've watched it multiple times, telling other people that they need to watch it, and then they're like, okay, I will. And I'm like, no, but like right now. Go. And then I sit with them and I'll make sit them and watch, watch you. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Where are you seeing her? She's actually coming to the same theater. She's coming to a theater in my town, because I live in Medford right now in Massachusetts. Uh, she's coming to a theater over here, which is the same theater that my favorite murder is coming to, which I'm oh, going what? to in October. And this theater, a little, a little some facts for you guys. <laughs> the Black Dahlia, if we remember the Black Dahlia who was murdered and dismembered. We remember her. Way back when in Hollywood. She originally was from Medford, Massachusetts, and she went to Medford High School over here. I didn't Before know she that. moved out to become a movie star and had a horrible end to her life. Yes. And I believe the theater... I'm probably getting some of these facts wrong, but I believe the theater in Medford that both Ali Wong and My Favorite Murder are performing at is a theater that is or once was attached to the high school. Wow. Which is where the Black Dahlia attended. Right. So it's going to be pretty cool. Pretty stoked. (laughs) And it's Cinco de Mayo this weekend. Are you doing anything? I feel like I have such a boring life. Uh... Yes, actually, it's Cinco de Mayo, so I am doing something. Yeah, you do way more than I do. You're way more social than I am. I feel like I'm not. You do stuff on the, like, weekdays. You go to dinner during the week. I'm on hiatus, and a lot of it has been networking and meeting with people who can get me jobs. That's true. So it's work. Work dinners, wine and dine, those Work drinks. So what are you doing for Cinco de Mayo? Cinco de Drinco. Cinco de Drinco. <laughs> uh, it's actually some of our friends' birthdays, so we're going to go celebrate those. Um, I probably will end up talking to people about ghosts for hours because that's my new thing to do when I'm drunk. <laughs> um, collect ghost stories and then forget about them the next day and then not be able to tell you. <sighs> I hate when that happens. We Oh my gosh, we actually had someone emailed us I think her name's Aaliyah, I might be butchering that, who offered to do tarot card readings for us over email. Hell yeah. Do you want to do it? Please. We should do it and then read our tarot readings on the podcast next week. We should. That's such a good idea. Okay, let's do it. I was actually watching, yesterday I was watching the YouTube video of... um, Teresa Caputo, the Long Island medium, yep. she went on to Jimmy Kimmel and read him. And he was just, he was just being Jimmy, you know? <laughs> he wasn't taking it seriously, and Teresa right. was giving him shit right back. Well, and I was like, 
I want to get read by Teresa Caputo. That would be so cool. Celeb reading. It would be awesome. Let's invite her on the podcast and see what happens. Videotape her being with us. Picks for proof. <laughs> we can wear GoPros on our head. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that's what you should do when you're out for Cinco de Mayo so that you don't forget any of the ghost stories. It's all recorded. On, I'll just wear a mic. Instead of a, instead of a big GoPro on my forehead, I'll wear a mic. I'll wear my um, blue Yeti microphone around with me. This this new microphone that I have, because once again, <laughs> I have another one since last week broke. I wouldn't say it, it broke. I think I'm just jinxed. It malfunctioned because our ghost doesn't love us. It was looking for me to have something that's a little nicer. So here we are. <laughs> Again, but this one comes, actually, it comes with little body mics. I didn't oh buy that package, but you can buy the package for, like, not that much more. And they give you the little body mics that, That's, you know, when you go on, like, Ellen DeGeneres or whatever, they put them on you. Or when you go to Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> or when you go to Cinco de Mayo. I uh, I have a love-hate relationship with Cinco de Mayo because I absolutely love Mexican food. But I'm allergic to avocados, so I can't have guacamole. And I don't do well with sweet drinks, so I can't get regular margaritas. I always have to be like, can I just have the agave or just like no simple (laughs) syrup? I have to be so annoying. But you can fix that by just taking tequila shots. That's true. Which is what I love. It's my drink of choice. I finally can drink tequila again junior and senior year of college that's all I drank and I couldn't drink it for the past like three years <laughs> but when I went to Demi Lovato my roommate Casey and I made friends with these two other people in the bar that we were at before the concert and they were like tequila shots and I didn't want to be like can I actually have um something else some McGillicuddy's <laughs> I didn't want to be a loser so I took one and I was like mm, this is delicious wow yeah I I'm that way with uh, Bacardi rum, and I've been that way since high school. I still cannot drink it without thinking of barf and the time that I had a Halloween party and we were drinking out of the laundry machine in my basement and my dad caught us and kicked everyone out of my house. (laughs) (laughs) It was um, traumatizing to say the least. Were you, did you have secret parties and stuff? Oh, so many. I never did. I always went to other people's houses. Yeah. The only party I had every single year was a huge Halloween party. And that was it. That's that's a party, though. It was. But, like, my parents were there. Other people's parents were welcome. We all just mm. kind of scattered throughout the entire house. So if people drank, I whatever. Maybe they did. I don't know. Sometimes I look back on my high school life and I think I was a crazy person And I lived it up way more in high school than I do now. (laughs) Well, that's part of growing up and maturing. (laughs) It's making decisions that are a little bit more responsible. Right. But sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I was still that fun. Still locking yourself in a dark laundry room and binge drinking. (laughs) Doesn't everyone wish for that? You know what we used to drink all the time? You and I used to drink Svedka. Like it was nobody's business and, and like the flavored so ones the amount of things i could say about <laughs> us in college is just endless in my memory of you and i going out it was always just you and i like why didn't yes. anyone else come out with us because we were strange i don't know too destructive we, when it yeah. was you both of us together 
We went on um, hunts. <laughs> we can't talk about that. <laughs> we did streak through campus one time. No one was there. No. No one saw us. That we know of. But LMU does have a live cams on their <laughs> campus. <so. laughs> oh, youth. I think I ran so fast you wouldn't even be able to tell I was naked. It was a flash of like a flesh colored body. Like a little ghost. I bet you. <laughs> I just imagine P safe like seeing the camera footage and like, what? It's a ghost. It's a spirit. What is it? Just two girls streaking. Just two girls streaking. I told you that story. I think I told it on the podcast where there was, um, what, ah, fuck, what's that? Oh, in St. Rob's. Yeah, St. Rob's. They thought it was a ghost and it was just a guy with roller skates going up and down the hall at night. (laughs) Oh, humans looking like ghosts and ghosts looking like humans. Before we talk about our topic, we're really excited to tell you about a cool new show called This Sounds Serious. It's a new cast box creation. It tells a fictional murder story that involves twins, cults, and a Florida weatherman. If you're a fan of true crime and comedy, then you will love this show. It's a fake true crime podcast, and it delivers big on both laughs and on story. The first two episodes came out on May 1st, so it's already up if you want to listen wherever you get your podcasts. This Sounds Serious is the CastBox original produced by Vancouver-based creative studio Kelly and Kelly. And if we know anything about Vancouver podcasts, they're great. They're great. We've listened to many. So it's written by the people behind Maximum Fun's Stop Podcasting Yourself, CBC's This Is That, and Panoply's Dexter Guff is Smarter Than You. It stars Peter Oldring from Dexter Guff is Smarter Than You and Carly Pope from Arrow, Suits, and Elysium. The series moves beyond parody by telling a compelling, serialized story, and each episode is about 25 minutes long, which is perfect for a commute or a road trip. Their website is www.thissoundserious.com. This Sounds Serious is out now. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. I actually just listened to the first episode yesterday. It's hilarious. I don't doubt it. And it sounds exactly like sometimes you need a written scripted show. Right. Those narrative shows in your life. And this sounds like a good one to have. And it sounds serious. And funny. This sounds serious. This sounds serious. Speaking of serious. Something that is serious. And we want to give a disclaimer to all of our listeners before we talk about this topic, just because it is a sensitive topic and can be triggering for Some people, um, we are going to discuss incubus and succubus spirits. So for those that don't know what incubus and succubus are, these are thought to be demonic creatures, demons that basically prey on people and sexually assault them. So the topics that we're going to be discussing, unfortunately, have to do with the sensitive topic of rape and sexual assault um, and also discussions on consent so if this is something that you don't feel comfortable listening to and you don't want to hear some of the really awful experiences that people have unfortunately endured then this is your opportunity to stop listening to this episode and come back next week for a lighter topic much lighter (laughs) and Yeah, I mean, we both, Corinne and I, we both feel like this is an important subject to talk about because, I mean, think of the idea of rape in our society. It's 
a really hard topic to discuss and a lot of people who come out to to share their experiences are not believed and that's with human to human assault and so when it comes to ghosts to human I feel like there's this stereotype or skepticism around it that I feel like isn't fair because these experiences are so real to these people who experience them that they should be listened to and their stories should be shared and right and instead a lot of these scientists coming in and saying that it's a mental health issue and that it's schizophrenia or what have you delusions drugs and that's not something that I think is okay to just always scream mental illness when it's something that someone is reporting when it has to do with sexual assault and rape and truthfully if any if if any of you have experienced something like this there is a safe space for you to talk about it and there are resources and people who will believe you and we want we want to help make it known that it's okay to have had these experiences you're not crazy it goes with anything paranormal I think it's easy to write off any paranormal experience as a mental delusion or whatnot, but there are people who believe you and we want to address this issue and let you know that if it's happened to you, you're not alone. That was very well said, Sabrina. Thank you. So. Okay. So. (laughs) Incubus and succubus, man. I mean, so just briefly a little bit about them. Corinne, you touched upon how they're demons, but an incubus is thought to be the male form of a demon who engages in unwelcome sexual activity with women. And then a succubus is the female counterpart. But I was reading about it and it's actually interesting in ancient history. And when like you can go back in time and look at the origins of encounters with incubus, incubus and succubus is that they believe that they could be a genderless demon that can according to whatever situation it's in can like grow the female counter like female parts necessary it's like a parrot fish yeah because the parrot fish if there's no male mm-hmm. amongst the group of females one of the females will turn into a male yeah to reproduce. and i guess the very first i guess written encounter with these entities was from Mesopotamia in 2400 BC. That is crazy long ago. I know. So these have been around and have been in legend and stories for a very, very long time. And they're like in every culture, there's different names for them or they go by there's different demons or God demigods like related to incubus and succubus spirits. And they actually, there was a debate in history of whether people can become pregnant by incubus and succubus spirits. They believe that because this demon can be genderless, that it can go and have sex with a male, taking its sperm, and then go to a female and deliver that sperm into the female. Oh, so it's not actually like a ghost child, but it's a... Like, if you did DNA results, it would be 100% human. Mm-hmm. It would be like a sperm bank, essentially. It's just so confusing. I mean, I guess I guess ghosts and demons can manipulate things. We know that. But 
I mean, you can't even get pregnant really in a hot tub. That's one of the myths because <laughs> sperm has to, there's a expiration date on it yeah, and the exactly. window is so small and it has to be at a certain temperature and certain conditions. Mm-hmm. And for a spirit to extract sperm and then hunt down someone else and insert the yeah. sperm, it seems like too long of a gap. Right. And I mean, with this topic, it's very difficult. Like you can't verify a lot of it. And is that just legend? Is that, are there real cases of it? We don't know. Well, not, not to get religious. And I myself was confirmed (laughs) as a Catholic, but we're talking about pregnancy and it just reminds me of Mary and immaculate conception. Trust me, while I was doing my research the whole time, I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, touchy topic, like touchy subject. Do we talk about it? Do we not? We don't have to talk about it. I said the (laughs) comment, you guys can deduce what you want from my comment. But I mean, with anything in the science world and just in the world in general, nothing is almost nothing. I shouldn't say absolutely nothing, but (laughs) a lot of things can be disproved or built on and that's half of what science is it's figuring stuff out and then other people coming and trying to manipulate that situation mm-hmm. or try to recreate it and find gaps and holes or make it better right. so in terms of religious stories i feel like that can it can be the same it's we can't take everything as it is you have to ask questions exactly i completely agree It's an ever-changing world, and we're learning new things every single day. And so you have to take things with a grain of salt, but also make your own theories and try to learn and come up with your own answers in the universe. Um, who's first? What would would we do last week? Um. (laughs) Forests? No, amusement parks. Oh, yeah, we did amusement parks. I think. So I think I'm first. Okay. Right? I thought I, I was first, but you're probably right. <laughs> oh, no. Because I think you it doesn't six matter. flags. Okay, yeah. Well, okay. Should I go? Yeah. All right. So I chose to discuss Doris Bither. Bither? Bither. Bither? Bither? Bither. Doris Bither. Um, and you might be familiar with her already. She, the movie, the entity was based on her true life experience. I was watching a YouTube video on the treadmill the other day of her story. And I was constantly looking behind my shoulder, convinced that there were spirits in the gym with me. Really? I was so freaked out. And I usually never get like that. Wait, was it, was it purely based on the story or did you, do you normally feel creeped out in the gym? No, it was purely based on the story. I mean, my gym is creepy. <laughs> it, like, it's back from like the, who knows how old it is. It hasn't been cleaned in a hundred years. But oh, you were at your gym. Yeah, I was assuming that you were at the Playa Vista gym, that like beautiful no. open air gym where Justin Bieber lives. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> nope. I was in my dirty gym, which electric electrocutes me when I run on the treadmill because it's like stripped <laughs> wires. It's good. Okay. Sounds like you should run outside. I know. So, Doris Bither had been experiencing intense abuse that 
stemmed from three different entities. And she was really confused and she didn't know where to turn. So her and her friend went to a bookstore called Hunter Bo- Hunter's Books in Westwood. And she was looking for a book that could give her more insight on what she was experiencing. And while she was there, she overheard two men across the aisle from her discussing paranormal research. Mm-hmm. And so Doris looked up at these men and says, oh, well, my house is haunted. Again, asking the right questions or saying the correct right. comments in front of the right people. The right people. And it just blows my mind the way that, I mean, this is the nature of this and how coincidental it was is so crazy because imagine if they, she was there two minutes later, she wouldn't have run into them and just no one would have ever heard her story and none of this would have ever happened. Uh, yeah. Which just makes me like think of the serendipity in the universe of how everything is meant and collides for certain reasons. So this man asked for her phone number and said that they didn't have to speak publicly about it just because they were in like a very public bookstore that, you know, people might get weirded out by discussing the paranormal. Mm -hmm. And so one of these men, his name was Kerry Gaynor, who was actually a research assistant at UCLA. And he was a research assistant to Dr. Barry Taff. So on August 22nd of 1974, Dr. Barry Taff and Carrie Gaynor arrived to Doris Bither's Culver City home to discuss her experiences. And just a little background on Dr. Barry Taff, because I think he's such a fascinating person in the paranormal world. Um, From a young age, since being a child, he started experiencing all kinds of paranormal phenomena himself, like out-of-body experiences. He was clairvoyant. He had psychic abilities. Um... And he thought everyone had these, but as he grew up, he realized he was the only one. And he was so intrigued by why he was the only one that he basically began a career in it. The original Teresa Caputo. The original, yeah. Uh, so he, and UCLA has a parapsychology laboratory. I believe that's what it's called. I wonder if they have a major. Oh, I'm going to be so mad if I went to LMU for psychology and I could have gone to UCLA for parapsychology. I know, right? Fuck, I wish I knew what did about I do? this. But yeah, so he ended up going to UCLA for undergraduate studies and he met this, uh, the head of the parapsychology, parapsychology, oh my gosh, of the paras. oh my God. Are you okay? <laughs> I don't know. Am I having a seizure? Okay, so he met Dr. Thelma Moss, who was the head of the parapsychology laboratory at UCLA, and she did this test with him that basically she gave him an item that was important to her, and he told her all of these things about her life. And she was so intrigued by him that she hired him as a research assistant, and then when he was a graduate student, he so basically his career took off, and he still works at UCLA in the parapsychology site. My gosh. Parapsychology Laboratory. I'm never going to say that word again. (laughs) And uh, he has spent the last 36 years or more than 36 years now uh, working in the lab and conducting field researching on hauntings, poltergeists, doppelgangers, and all of our favorite kinds of entities. So back to 1974, when Carrie had met Doris in the bookstore, he goes back and told Dr. Barry Taff of this woman and they get a call from her and they decide to go to her house on August 22nd and 
they arrive at the house and notice that the house was in very poor condition. And keep in mind, this house is like down the road from where I live. So I'm going to go drive by it tomorrow to take a photo of it. No way. <gasps> oh, yeah, because it's in Culver City. Yeah. Not and that the house you live is still in Culver there. City, but you're close. I'm really, yeah. I'm going to go buy it. And so they arrive and the house is in terrible condition. It actually had been condemned by the city twice. Um, Doris welcomed them into her home and then immediately began to tell them of her experiences. And she told them that she had been repeatedly raped by a ghost in her home. And Dr. Taff and Carrie Gaynor looked at each other and then, and rolled their eyes and said, and like to themselves were like, this woman is crazy. And, don't speak too soon. Right. And I mean, keep in mind, this is 1974. Not that that's an excuse, but like I said in the beginning, the way that people are treated today when they talk about rape is, you know, people aren't believed. And so when yeah. someone says it about a ghost, it's it's understandable that someone would be like, what is she talking about? This is wild. Because it's so hard to imagine. So then... Doris continued to tell them that there were three spirits. There were two of them that were smaller and would hold her down while a third larger spirit would come and assault her. So Taff and Gaynor told Doris that there was nothing that they could do to help her situation and that it was more of a psychological issue. And they gave her the contact information for a psychiatrist at UCLA and left her house. So poor Doris is like starting to think she's crazy herself. And... She just calls them, she calls them back 10 days later saying that their neighbor that her neighbors and her friends had also experienced things in her home and that things were escalating. So they were hesitant, but they decided to go back to her house and when they arrived, they noticed that the house had a very strange odor and Ooh. that it smelled like rotting flesh. I was just about to say sulfur cuz yep. demons, but same. Same. Same same but different. Same same but different. Yeah. So they also noticed that the rest of the house was really warm. It was the end of August. It was summertime in Los Angeles, which we all know is warm. And the second they walk into her bedroom, it became ice cold. And there was no air conditioning in the home. So again, there's all these signs of things that we talk about that happen often when paranormal entities are around. And while they're having a conversation with Doris about her experiences, a kitchen cupboard flies open and a frying pan flies out of the cupboard towards them as if it had been thrown. Holy crap. And Doris explains that this was normal, that things were often thrown at her, and she had had a fuse box ripped from the wall and thrown at her, a candelabra was like thrown at her head, all of these things. So because of this... Dr. Taff and Gaynor decide to open an investigation and begin conducting research on Doris and her experiment experiences in her environment. Um, and there's a lot that Doris wouldn't share with Taff and Gaynor. He she was very evasive about her past and like where she came from, who she was, how old she was. She wouldn't even tell them how old she was, which Interesting. is like you should never ask a woman her age anyway. But. There's Unless a lot you of think she's older than she looks, and then she looks <laughs> good, and she's young. And you're like, what? I thought you were, like, 26. Yeah. I'll be 20 forever. <laughs> I want to be older. I, I want to stop aging when I'm 30. Just 30 is good. You're, like, you're an adult. People start to respect you. You can 
have children without people being like, oh my gosh, you're so young. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll call you 30 forever, even starting now. Even though I'm not 30 yet. <laughs> so then uh, the, the Doris's past was always very vague and she wouldn't tell anything. So even now when you look on the internet, there's very little you can find about her past. But this is what we do know. She was born Doris McGowan, and she came from an upper-middle-class family, but her parents were both alcoholics, and it's believed that it was a very abusive environment to grow up in. And when she was 10, her family moved to California, but then when Doris was a teenager, her parents decided to disown her and cut her off without further contact. So she was like a teenager and was living on her own. She was a single mother at the time and had no money, no family, and had some she like went through abusive relationships with men and she had been divorced multiple times she over time had four children with four different men three boys and a daughter and it was believed that she just because of these experiences in her past she was depressed had anxiety and had a lot of mental demons that she was dealing with Mm -hmm. and then she moved to Culver City, which is when the activity began and when Dr. Taff and Gaynor came into the picture. It was also later learned because I think her son shared with someone that after they moved into the home in Culver City, a strange woman showed up to her door and warned her that the house was bad and evil. And Doris was trying to question this woman, asking her what she was talking about, but the woman just turned away and walked away. That's so, really freaky. Really creepy and also there's no way of knowing if there's a correlation between this woman showing up and the activity starting, but it's very possible. I wonder if that woman used to live there and maybe she was a trigger. Yeah. Or if she hexed the home, who knows? Or maybe she was just a clairvoyant walking by. Who knows? Yeah. And and this woman, this was what over, this is 1974. This is 40 years ago, more than 40 years ago. So it's impossible to track down this woman who just showed up one right. day, you know, there's no way to find answers of that specific experience or um, occurrence. So then back to 1974, Dr. Taff and Gaynor are conducting research on Doris's experiences. And they note that the sexual assault stopped once they began their investigations, but the entities were still around. Uh, they found out that Doris was a heavy drinker, And that when Doris was drunk, the attacks were stronger and more insistent. But when she was sober, the attacks kind of seemed to settle down, which we've we've discussed on the podcast where alcohol kind of opens you up to things and kind of brings down barriers that you might have up otherwise. It can, but then we can also argue the other side, like in the show Medium with, uh, what's her name, Patricia Arquette? Yeah. Because she, in her youth, used to, I mean, obviously this is a fictional scripted television (laughs) show, but the premise of it was now she uses her gift to help the spirits, but it was so bad when she was young that she turned to alcohol to try to numb the feelings and her seeing things because it was just too much and she was too sensitive. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, why is alcohol called spirits? Dun, dun, dun. Actually, I looked this up because I wanted to make sure I didn't say anything stupid. It has nothing to do with um, spirits. <laughs> <laughs> um, We've been corrected enough times that now we 
predict our ourselves. jokes and look them up first. <laughs> yep. Fact checking before we say anything that we'll regret. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's clear that Doris was dealing with her own demons and that she was self-medicating in a way. Um, but her her children backed up all of these experiences and her oldest son told them that he once saw his mother being violently attacked by these unseen forces. So he ran to help her, but then was himself thrown violently back that he, it was so violently and the force was so strong that he broke his arm. Oh my God. Yeah. Can you imagine how terrifying that is to be attacked? I, like with that amount of force and not being able to see what you're trying to fight back? I can't imagine and I hope it never happens to me. Oh my God. Or anyone. It's so horrible. So while they were doing these investigations and researching in the home, they would witness what they called carpusticus carpusticus masses of light that looked like plasma and had a greenish yellow color and they would seal any the house from any external lighting to make sure that there was no light coming from outside and these orbs would become even more clear and they actually caught one in the the photos they've caught in this case are wild so they caught one photo of an orb that looks like a comet with a little tail in another photo they captured there's this arc of light that frames doris like over her head she's sitting on a bed and it just looks like they caught the track of a plasma but light doesn't travel that way and you can't capture light that way unless you have a long shut or i don't even know the technical terms of cameras but you know this is 1974 the technology that they were using they were just using a simple camera and they had the photos analyzed by a professional lab and they were like, this just doesn't happen with the photo, with the camera you use. Light doesn't travel this way. There's no explanation for how this is showing up on the camera. That's so freaky. I know. And so a lot of the times in the photos that they caught, these lights and orbs and arcs were around Doris specifically. And there was another time, oh my gosh, this is so crazy to me. Okay, there was another time that they were all... There, I think at the point there were 28 people in the room and every single one of them saw what I'll explain. Doris was sitting on the bed. The lights were low. And yeah. all of a sudden these orbs, the plasma-like orbs, were floating around and they kind of start to coalesce next to Doris into a form <gasps> of a man. And they saw a what? head, the neck, and the upper torso, like the arms of a man who was animated. He like looked at Doris. He was an, he was a clear as day entity that had formed from these orbs. He was greenish yellow and he looked at Doris and then poof was gone. So only the upper half of his body appeared, but 28 people 28? all at the same time saw this. Oh, that is a classroom worth of people. Yes. 28. And I mean, of course, they weren't able to catch it on camera, but in, in um, what Barry, uh, Barry Taff had, I watched a YouTube video, which is amazing. I'll post it on the Facebook page. It's an interview with Barry Taff. It actually took place, he was interviewed in 2017. So it's a recent video of him recounting his experience with Doris. And he says, there are so many things that they caught on camera that they couldn't see with their physical eye, but then the things that they saw with their physical eye, they couldn't catch on camera. So it's such a weird 
It's almost like a manipulation of right. presence. Like being that entity, I can only imagine that they're like, oh, this will really screw with their mind and keep totally. them on their toes because they never know. There's never one moment that they can be sure that they are alone. Exactly. And um, event, and they all... so. Barry Taff really wanted to bring Doris into the UCLA lab in order to conduct a control, like a controlled experiment and do research specifically on this, what this entity is and if it follows her or is like Doris creating it, you know, he's a scientist. So he's trying to understand it in the best way that he can. But the head of the lab, Thelma Moss was skeptical and thought that it wasn't worth resources. And eventually Doris gained the financial means to move out of the house. And so she left with her family and moved to Carson. And a few weeks after moving in, activity began again. But this time, the two houses flanking her house also began experiencing poltergeist activity. It spread. It's growing. Yeah. And the two neighbors had no knowledge of who Doris was or her past. Like, I mean, if you're Doris, you're not going around sharing this information with every random who's it. Right. And uh, all three homes were experiencing doors opening and closing, items being thrown, lights going on and off, technology fritzing. So whatever this entity was, it was following Doris. And there was one day where Taff came, went to Doris's new home and turned on a recording device. And immediately a large vase was thrown across the room into the middle of everyone sitting there. They paused the recording and played it back. And in the recording, Corinne, they hear deep breathing with footsteps and like it was like footstep, footstep, and drag, breathing, Ooh. footstep, Ooh. footstep, drag. And keep in mind, everyone there was sitting. No one yeah. was moving. No one was in the mic, deep breathing. Like, oh, it's so terrifying. Oh god. Oh, that reminds <laughs> me. I had a dream. You and I caught a growling EVP, and it was so scary. <gasps> oh, that's terrible. Hopefully, that wasn't a premonition on <laughs> what I'm going to catch on this new mic today. Oh, I hope all of our dreams are just dreams and that's that. Please just be a dream. Yeah. So those are kind of the the things that they all experienced all together. And Taff, who has spent his entire life studying paranormal phenomena, still has no idea how to qualify the haunting that Doris explained or experienced. And he is hesitant to say it was specifically an incubus or a succubus spirit, but he believes it was a poltergeist spirit, which in my mind, couldn't you qualify an incubus and a succubus as a poltergeist spirit because of the way that they can manipulate objects and things? If they can do that, why can't they manipulate the human body and physically harm and touch people? Yeah, I have no idea. Because this story is the first story that I've heard of an incubus and succubus where things are actually being moved around and it it's more like a poltergeist or yeah. just paranormal activity. I feel like the majority of stories are it's targeted just on that one person, which also brings up the possibility of multiple presences being in the house because you had said that she was held down by a few different yeah. spirits, right? Right. So I wonder if maybe there's just one incubus that comes and goes. And there's a lead poltergeist. Yeah. 
I mean, it's interesting. So I'll go in more into, um, so Doris Beither actually passed away in 1999 at the age of 58 due to respiratory issues. And, um, in more recent years, her children have been interviewed and more information has come out regarding Doris's past. And then also the experiences that the family experienced in the home that Mm -hmm. didn't come from the research that Dr. Taff and Gaynor did. So one of her sons, and, and I have to say this before I go into all of this, none of this information came directly from Doris. So the information in regards to her past, it's hard to verify. Okay. But if it is true, it could really provide more answers into why it all happened to her. So she had the difficult relationship with her parents. Her mm-hmm. upbringing was very challenging and she was battled with depression and turned to alcohol and drug use. That was information that Doris herself had supplied and it was true. But her son, Brian Harris, told a man named Xavier Ortega that everything that happened in or that everything Doris experienced truly happened and that everyone in their home experienced some version of the attacks, although they were mostly targeted at Doris. There was pushing, biting, scratching, uh, and Brian's bedroom was next to his mother's, and there were many nights where he would hear her screaming, things being thrown, and he would hear the attacks happening. And when Doris would come out of her bedroom, she would have bruises all over her body, between her thighs, on her arms, everywhere. And he also said that Doris had a history of using the Ouija board and she would conduct seances, which could, if it's true, could provide insight to why these spirits were drawn to her. She could have summoned some dark entity through a Ouija board. Or it's also, I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast where because of your mental state, if you're in a going through a tumultuous time in your life, it's possible that darker entities can feed off of that. And that's why they're attracted to people in depressive states. It reminds me a bit of the plot of An American Haunting. Which I haven't seen it. It's not. I don't want okay spoiler alert if you (laughs) have any intention of watching it skip forward 30 seconds but the plot (laughs) of it is basically there's this presence in the home and it keeps I think I've talked about this before it keeps um like basically raping the daughter in the house and everybody's seeing it but they don't really know what to do and they turn out blind eye and they can hear it happening la di da di da and the priest comes and basically in the end you find out that the actually being the father who was molesting his daughter yeah which is not the same to say that this is the same but it just reminded me her son hearing everything that was happening to her in her room it just reminded me of that right and there are people who have said that because of doris's past and whatever the questionable abuse in her past was that because of this previous abuse she was manifesting more abuse in her mind and creating it and imagining it was real. But I mean, there's a few other experiences that the children experience that I, I think writes that explanation off. Right. And too, if we're talking about what happened in her past and how it could influence her future, if she experienced those things or a traumatic childhood growing up, then she's probably living in a high anxiety state and is constantly on edge. And that's a very attractive type of way to live for a demon yes 
it's like a magnetic pull for them. But so Brian said that after the times when Dr. Taff and his team would leave the home, activity would get even more intense and that the spirits would act angry almost because they would be like, Brian felt like the spirits were angry that the family invited these researchers and people into the home. Mm -hmm. And he said that when they would all leave, it was as if the house would come alive. Oh, yeah. And there was one entity whom they, the children called Mr. Who's it? And keep in mind, while this is all happening, they're the oldest child is 13 years old. So they're young kids. And they saw the spirit and they called him Mr. Who's it? And he pretended to be their grandfather. He would appear as their grandfather. He would tell them he was their grandfather. But it's believed that this spirit, this dark entity, was pretending to be the grandfather in order to form a trust and like a bond with these kids and then to be able to infiltrate their lives more easily. That's an interesting tactic because I feel like oftentimes it's almost the reverse. It's not gaining trust. It's this demon attacking the children to make them the weakest points and feed off of their energy and influence their thoughts to do bad things. And that's why people are like, oh my gosh, my child has been acting so differently and blah, blah, blah. But I think maybe because Doris was already in a mental state for them to feed off of her, they didn't need to do that to the children. But we've, we've also talked about demons mimicking little children or voices of like of family members because they love the manipulation and it's a game to them. But so, so upsetting. Yeah. So in so Doris then kind of fell off the radar after all of this happened and she did meet with uh, Frank DeFelita who wrote a book called The Entity... And it details her personal accounts and experiences with everything. And then it was made into a movie and released in 1982, which actually tells, for the most part, recount, like recounts the story very similarly. Obviously, it takes its liberties. It's Hollywood. But I haven't seen the movie. It has an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, and Martin Scorsese named it in his top 11 scariest films he's ever seen. Oh, so I need to watch it. it. I almost, I almost watched clips before I realized you had picked this one. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't. I know. I almost watched it last night, but I actually went and got drinks and talked about ghosts all night last night. <laughs> <laughs> See, you were doing things. I was working. <laughs> but that is Doris Byther. Byther. Wow. Holy crap. I know. When was this again? Like what year? Around what year? Do you remember? So the year that they started researching was 1974, but I believe that her experiences had probably been going on for many years before that. I thought it was so much longer ago. I thought that this was going to be like the 1930s. No, 1974. Jesus. What did you choose? Well, okay. So I had kind of a hard time zeroing in on one thing. Um... And so that's when I was thinking about, well, you had actually mentioned to me because I texted you and I was like, this is hard. (laughs) And you said, what about the woman in the UK? So it kind of got my gears grinding. And I won't say that I really have a theme. It's more just like I combined a few different stories to highlight the different types of visits that Incubus and Succubus can make. Okay. So I'll just start off as with reminding you guys about the woman in the UK who has sex with ghosts and recently mentioned it in an interview 
that was posted online. And she has fallen in love with quite a few. With one. She fell in love Oh, just one. Yes. Her name is Amethyst Realm. And last year she did an interview on a UK television show called, I think it was called This Morning. Um, And a bunch of people posted the video a few different times on our uh, Facebook group. So you might have already watched this interview. And we have mentioned it in previous episodes. But as a refresher, she has admitted that she gave up men in favor of her ghostly suitors instead. And basically, this woman, Amethyst, is having sex with ghosts and thought it was so much better than having sex with humans. And so she went ixnay on the anus bay. <laughs> <laughs> or a, a gina vase, whichever way you go. Right. Um, but it all started when she was visited by a male presence who struck up a flirtation with her. And he didn't try anything at first, but I guess she could read the energy and felt like it was kind of a seduction sort of situation. And so she was interested in this presence, which she shouldn't have been because she was emotionally cheating. And then, well, later, I guess, physically cheating on her fiance because she was engaged at this time. But she was so tempted by this ghostly suitor. And so one day she went into their spare bedroom and she put on lingerie and she encouraged him to take their flirtation to the next level. And one thing led to another and became a thing. And she was basically, you know, having an affair with a spirit. I I use the word spirit lightly because this story and a few of the others that I'm going to talk about kind of confuse me because... It's kind of like, is it a spirit or is it actually an incubus that kind right. of got lucky in their target? Yeah, that yeah, it's difficult because typically when we hear about these spirits, they're demons or they're referred to as demons. Yeah. So it's hard because she's saying that it was a consensual and mutual relationship between this spirit and actually her fiance ended up catching them. The ghost... Mm-hmm or spirit, or demon, whatever it was, never showed itself to Amethyst in a physical form. But this presence did show himself to her fiancé. He was coming home one night, and he looked up, and in their spare bedroom window, he could see the silhouette of a man. And that's how he caught them. And Amethyst, I guess, told him what had been going on. Yeah. So it's been 10 years since her and her fiancé broke up, And she claims to have had sexual encounters with 20 different spirits since Oh my gosh. And she said that you can tell the difference between the spirits because of their energy, similar to people, I guess. Which I was thinking about that. I was like, what does that mean? But then I realized we can tell the difference between people. Because you know when someone, if you have multiple roommates or multiple family members and someone walks in the room, you know who it is. Right. So I guess... In a way, you can read energies, and we're all reading energies without really realizing it. Yeah, and I guess also when you see, like, if you and I are talking, and like one day something happens to you, you're in like you're sad. I can read that off of you, and I can tell based on interactions with humans, you can tell what kind of emotion they're feeling. Yeah, yeah. is it energy? Is it small micro movements of the face? I don't know. I need to talk to an expert. Yeah, but anyway, so. 
she said that she can tell the difference between the different energies or spirits because of their energy. And that's why she knows that she's been with 20 different spirits than the one that she first started having a relationship with. And she also said that the encounters started as more of like a pressure on her thigh and on her arms and some breath down her neck. But then it moved on to a sensation of actual penetration and on her part, climax. Wow. And she said that now she's looking into phantom pregnancies, a.k.a. (laughs) having a kid with a ghost. She should listen to our podcast and find out what we said. Amethyst, if that happens, you need to take a DNA test. Yes. So I just think that this whole story, I mean, we've talked about it before, about how it's a little bit bizarre just because this is the first time that it's really been talked about on tv and we didn't really know that people it's it's a weird topic so anyone openly talking about sex is weird and then when you mix in the paranormal it makes people uncomfortable and people don't know what to make of it which isn't a bad thing you know right that's not a bad thing the birds and the bees talk the birds and the bees (laughs) I'm just having, so I think Amethyst's story is interesting because it brings up the topic of, or I guess the question of making a distinction between ghost sex and a visit from Incubus and Succubus. Because Amethyst said that she always felt safe, but was that because that she was, was it because she was interested in the Incubus and she was a willing participant? Right. Because I had mentioned in our Celebrity Ghost episode a few, however many episodes back, but there were a few different celebrities that I highlighted that had sexual yeah. encounters with. Kesha. Yes, Kesha, um, Lucy Liu. There were a few. Yeah. Uh, I forget the others. There were a few more. Um, but I do wonder what separates someone from thinking that they have been or knowing that they have been raped by a demon versus thinking or knowing that they had sexual consenting sex with a spirit. So is it based on the willingness of the participant? Like what if, what if the spirit or entity was going to have sex with Amethyst no matter what, but instead of it being really scary and a violating experience, she reacted favorably. And so instead she thought, that it was nice. And the demon was like, ooh, this is a nice setup. I don't even have to right. get really violent because she's already. And then do you think because she was such a willing participant and it was consensual to her that that has invited other incubus spirits to come visit her? So, again, they all have malevolent intent, but because of her human comprehension of it and, like, her willingness to do it and invite it it has become that experience in her mind right it does make me wonder if it's based on the energy of the person just because some people really are resistant to it and don't don't want that and yet they're still touched and i wonder i don't know it's just such a tough topic and then also the other thing that has come up with incubus and succubus before is that people who are targeted by incubus and succubus often report having strains on their own relationships so kind of similar to how families begin to fight and have problems when there's a presence of a demon or a poltergeist in the home right people who have incubus and succubus 
have reported that they have a lot of strains in their romantic relationships and that they can't keep a relationship. And it makes me wonder, is, is this just kind of like a side effect of having a demonic energy around you? Or does mm-hmm. the demon actually want access to this person right. and doesn't want anything else or anyone else interfering? Oh my gosh, I don't know. It's so complicated. And, and I, I genuinely believe that demonic entities suck energy out of humans. And like that's part of their fear or like the reason they're so terrifying is that they, they do drain you of your resources, essentially. But it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What either. are they intending to do? What's their... I don't get it. I don't get it. It's such... I mean what do we get like when it comes to the spirit world we can speculate but really we don't we don't really have solid proof for the majority of this stuff you know it's all us trying to read between the lines and connect the dots but it is what it is like we don't know and that's why it's so interesting right um but before i go into some of the other stories i did want to bring up also something that i had seen come up was besides obviously schizophrenia i feel like in a lot of incubus and succubus stories or articles a lot of people are quick to yell schizophrenia right um but another thing that came up that i thought was very interesting is the idea of stockholm syndrome and Hmm. stockholm syndrome for people who aren't familiar with it it is a it's a psychological condition where people who are kidnapped or in abusive situations begin to identify with their captors and it's a right. it's a way to survive so mm-hmm. there's a lot of you should look it up if you don't know much about it because it's so so interesting and there are even people who have been right. kidnapped for years and horribly mistreated and then they'll defend their captors yeah. in court like it's, it's crazy what the mind will do to, to survive ease a situation yeah it, I mean, it, it's wild. And so that made me wonder, is it possible, not to say that Amethyst suffers from Stockholm Syndrome, I don't know her and I don't know her situation, but is it possible that people who experience attacks from incubus and succubus might convince themselves that they're having fun or that they're in a consensual relationship yeah. because they just cannot bear to recognize what's happening or maybe are their energies too weakened and if... If they don't yeah. resist, maybe it's not as bad. And so they just keep telling themselves, like, pretend that this is good. Because if it if I push back, then I'm going to be attacked more violently. I d- it, yeah. There and even, so many- like, maybe were these feelings implanted? We know that <gasps> demonic yeah. presences are manipulative. So Oh, my gosh. Are these people, these men and these women who are being attacked, are they thinking that they're in love or that it was something that they wanted because all of these thoughts were put into put their mind? Oh my gosh, I never thought of that. And that is so horrifying because uh, I... Yeah. Well, people I mean, who, could you imagine... Yeah, like, I, I'm like, my brain is just fritzing because it's just so much too... <laughs> to take in and try to comprehend and it's tough too because we hear this in cases of poltergeist and demonic um hauntings in homes that people can have really dark thoughts when they're around these spirits and it's yeah. it's 
it's a weird thing to try to, I guess, understand what are your own thoughts, what belongs to you, and then identify what was placed in your mind. And right. I can only imagine the confusion when it's sexual. It must be even worse. Right. And especially if it's there constantly, constantly feeding you ideas and thoughts, it, it would be so hard to discern between your own thoughts and what's being put there because it's constantly being thrown into your mind. Exactly. And so I'm going to give another example that's similar to Amethyst and then a few that are opposing. Okay. Um, There's another woman from the UK. She's from Wales. Her name is, I'm going to butcher this, Sion Jameson. And she moved into a fully furnished 16th century home where there was this historic painting of a very handsome man. And Mm. this man would appear to her frequently in her dreams. They would be sexual dreams. And then one day, he he appeared to her in physical form in her bed. And he was fully clothed in his, like, 16th century gear. And she panicked. And she was like, oh, my God, there's a spirit in my bed. And she freaked out. And so she turned away and was like, it's not real, it's not real. But then she felt his hand (sighs) move to her hip. And she said, quote... He was very gentle and stroked my body tenderly. During the lovemaking, I sensed all kinds of things about him. His name, Robert, and when he lived over a hundred years ago. We didn't speak. It was as if he was communicating with me telepathically. His body was soft and light. And then she said that they had, quote, amazing, end quote, sex. And so once again, Sion, Sion, had a positive experience similar to Amethyst's experience. But what's confusing is initially she was scared. Right. And she tried to close her eyes and pretend he wasn't there. Yes. And then he touched her and gave her information telepathically. And then suddenly she was like down. That kind of confuses me. And I and think then that also, that's manipulation. It, right. And it reminds me of Doris's story where her son said that the spirit portrayed himself as their grandfather like how do you like this spirit could have seen her admiration or like understood her thoughts her thinking the that the photo of the man that he was a handsome man and he could have appeared looking like him and shown up in her dreams looking like him because he knew right. or the, the spirit knew that she was attracted to him that that yeah so was this guy posing or this guy was this demon this incubus yeah. was he posing he whatever whatever the shit this awful thing is is it posing as this man in the painting or did the man in the painting turn into an incubus somehow is that or is there and then also it brings up like or are other spirits able to have sex and like are they like it's just other ghosts can move things it's not just a poltergeist People get visited by their grandparents and, and their grandparents will move yeah. coins onto the exactly. counters or move something around to let you know that they're there. And so Ugh. we know the objects or physical touch, physical closeness can happen with other ghosts. So who's yeah. to say that a sexual encounter isn't possible by just a regular, I guess, run of the mill spirit? Right. Oh my god! I don't the know. amount of questions that have come up because of this this episode is insane. We have no answers either. Like it's <laughs> just going to keep on layering on the questions. 
I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell the difference. But I did want to, I have um, just two quicker, er, uh, three quicker stories uh, that can just show you how different each case can be in that it can happen to anyone and then it can happen anywhere. Okay. Okay. Lana lives in Croatia. She's now an adult, but when she was six years old, she started being visited by entities who would give her terrible nightmares. They would implant these horrible thoughts and horrible visions into her mind, and it was just awful. And it never really ceased. She felt like she was just collecting more dark entities as she grew up. And when she was older, she had her first encounter with an incubus spirit. She was undressing in her room when suddenly sexual and vulgar images flooded her mind and she felt like she was being watched. She also felt as though she was not supposed to redress, so she stayed unclothed. And then she said the next thing she knew, she was being raped very violently in bed. Oh my gosh. And once it was over, it wasn't the end. It happened again that same evening. And she said it was so terrifying because not only did the entity have control over her body, but also her thoughts. And this incubus has come to her many more times. Um, It's tried to lure Lana in by appearing like a very handsome man and giving her visions of a baby. So that's kind of like what we were saying, like appearing to be something that she would be interested in right making her think it's this awesome consent consensual thing potentially right. and giving feeding her thoughts and lana was able to recognize that they weren't her own sexual thoughts towards this thing and it was something that was being introduced to her that wasn't it was foreign but right it can happen to anyone and this entity kept appearing as a ha- handsome man and giving her visions of a baby like trying to lure her in but she said Ugh, that she knew so that awful. it was trying to play this game and she wasn't buying it and right. she lived very very terrified actually the article said she lives so i'm assuming that this is still happening but lana said that she lives very terrified of when the next attack will be and she often can tell right before it will happen because she'll get a really weird fe- feeling and she said that she's tried to resist and she's tried yelling at it but when she does it becomes much more violent and it's assault Oh my God, that's so horrible. (sighs) Right? And she sought the help of a psychiatrist who medicated her. And I'm assuming probably it was for schizophrenia or something like that. And also a priest. And the priest told her, this can't be real. (gasps) So she has both tried to get religious help. And she has tried to get scientific help from a doctor, a psychiatrist. And neither of those have worked. That's so awful. I mean, this experience also sounds way more demonic than the previous two stories you've told. But I mean, it brings, again, like, it's frustrating because people don't believe people when they share these experiences and they open up themselves and become vulnerable to share these experiences that are horrible for them to relive. And then there's nothing to help them. Yeah, and honestly... It, it 
kind of goes back to the question, is it based off of the own person's read of the situation and their energy? Because I could retell you Lana's story and make it sound just like Amethyst's. I could say Lana lived in Croatia. She'd been visited by a spirit of a very handsome man who wanted to have babies with her. And she got all these sexual thoughts and knew she wasn't supposed to undress. And then they had sex. Like It's the same thing that Amethyst is having. But they have yeah. two different views on what the situation is. Right. Amethyst one, one of them, that she was in love with the spirit. Right. L- Lana is like, he's trying to manipulate me and he's raping me. Right. So it's, yeah, it's hard. Like, it's oh where's the distinction? Where's the line? Is it both incubus or, or are, are they, they different? <sighs> okay. Two I, more stories. <laughs> I just, I, I, so I just, horrible. I'm so stuck on like, I, I wonder if there are cases where they could, I mean, can you treat this the same way you treat a possession and, and exercise said entity out of this person's life? And I wonder if they've tried it or if every situation that's been brought up like this, it's been turned away and like thought of as impossible. (sighs) (laughs) I know the frustration of not knowing and, and just feeling, yeah. Someone I, and I'm just gonna keep adding questions. Oh because God! I, okay, what are your other stories? <laughs> what are your other stories? Uh, uh. Okay, we're moving from the UK. We're going over to Sweden now. Okay, there is a woman named Erica who started to see a dark shadow that would circle her very quickly, and she felt paralyzed, and it would place its hands on her body, and she just kind of was like, "Okay, this must be sleep paralysis, right?" She chalked it up to sleep paralysis. But then four years later, she was living in a different place and she felt a heaviness on top of her and sexual pleasure. And she enjoyed it thinking that her mind had somehow tapped into like this awesome place where she could just have sex without actually having sex. So she had such a good experience. But then one night, the pleasure turned to pain and she realized that it was not her own mind that she was actually experiencing in a, a violent and physical attack and she heard these oh awful noises these awful sounds were put into her ears and she felt little pricks on her body like little tingling and no. pin marks and then that quickly escalated to feelings of being full-on stabbed with a knife oh my gosh and this violent attack happened again and she felt like so similar it, not i don't know if they were stabbing again but and it happened once more and she felt like her breathing was very labored because she had threatened it and then all of a sudden her her chest was really tight and she couldn't breathe easily and she thinks that basically her trying to resist and her trying to fight back led to this entity attempting to suffocate her And she brought up a very interesting question. Erica wondered if, in fact, this was a demon or if this could potentially be a living person who is able to astral project. (gasps) So this kind of leads us to the question, is someone actually able to do this? Is the person who astral projects and, and puts on these attacks, are they a bad person? Or is this someone who thinks that they're having these horrible, awful nightmares of attacking people and they don't realize that their spirit is actually really carrying out these attacks. Or even worse, they are aware that they're doing it and they're just an evil person and they found this ability to project and they use it for bad. 
Yeah, that's more upsetting. Almost. Oh my god, I. <laughs> it brought uh, the demon right home. It could be laying in bed next to you, sleeping. Could be your husband. Could be your wife. Could be your boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend, son, daughter, cousin. And maybe you can't trust. Maybe anyone. they do it purpose purposefully. But maybe they have no idea and they think that they're being tormented by these awful sexual dreams and they think that something's wrong with them. And maybe they go to therapy for it and they don't realize that it's actually something that's truly affecting someone else. I'm like flabbergasted. I almost don't want to tell the last story. Oh, no. And we have listener stories, too. Yeah, I'm just going to skip over this last one. It's it's. It doesn't bring up any more questions. It's just really sad. It's just sad. Uh, We're going to skip it. We have enough awful violence in our lives. We don't need this extra story. Wow. But I know people will get mad at me for not saying what it's about. So I'll give you. I'll just. (laughs) And they can look it up. Do a one liner. There was a woman who was attacked by an incubus. She was pregnant at the time. And she unfortunately was unable to carry her pregnancy to term that's sad we don't need to read that yeah that's oh my gosh i don't know why i put it in okay okay we promise guys we promise we promise next week we are doing a light topic and we'll try to make you smile (laughs) next week okay yeah there were no jokes in this one this is a serious topic this is a very serious topic um not that we ever really joke we don't think we're funny (laughs) No, sometimes we like say things. We talk things pretty that, seriously the whole time. And then like we just say things and people think they're funny. Mm. We we're find out funny. what we say that's funny when people tweet about it. And then we're like, oh, yeah, when people I tell guess. us it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a story. Okay. And the subject line is something loves to get in bed with me. <laughs> and this is from Kim. She says, hi, ladies and Leia. Can I just start by saying that I absolutely love the podcast. Every time Leia meows, both my girls, Ida and Eddie, go crazy searching the house for a kitty intruder. So cute. (laughs) So, let me set the scene. My father lives in a very typical old Victorian English townhouse, tall ceilings, and open fires. It's beautiful. My father converted the attic into a bedroom. The room spread the entire house, so it was a rather large bedroom, and when I was a child, this was my brother's room, and yes, I was always incredibly jealous. My bedroom was the top of the, was at the top of the stairs on the first floor, the smallest but the warmest, because I had one of the open fires. Sadly, my parents divorced, so my mom, brother, and I moved out to a house about twenty minute, a 20-minute walk away. However, I would spend a lot of time at my dad's, sleeping in my old childhood home. One day, my dad decided to give me special treats. A special treat and decorate my bedroom. I was 18 at the time. This meant whenever I stayed at my dad's house for the next few months, I had to choose a different room to sleep in. I guess you guys can guess which room I picked to stay in. Yep, the attic. Uh. One night after working late in the pub, I decided to make a way, make my way to my dad's as it was closer. I turned up at my dad's house around 1am and found him fast asleep on the sofa. I woke him up with a cup of tea and a midnight snack, which is so British. She wrote cuppa, like C-U-P-P-A. Cuppa. A cup of tea. Uh, After guzzling down our food, we both made our way to bed. My dad's room was on the second floor, and as you know, I made my way up to the attic. I snuggled down, however, something was missing. 
my dad's six-year-old Rottweiler, Lily. Lily never left my side while I was at my dad's house. In fact, she sit on the end of my bed all night and never fall asleep or leave until I woke up. She's my large guardian angel. I called her several times and no patter of feet on the stairs. Again, I called her and I could hear her whining at the bottom of the stairs. <gasps> I got out of bed and I looked down at her. She was growling and barking loudly. Up, my dad jumped and grabbed her to stay in his room. A little confused, I jumped back into bed and fell asleep. I woke a little while later to my dad shouting my name. I sat up in bed looking at my clock, which was 2.45 a.m. What? I shouted back, but got no answer. I lay back down thinking I must just be hearing things, but a few minutes later, I again hear my father's voice. Kim. This time, he shouted a little panicked. I jolted up to, a, to an upright position, heart beating fast, and again, I shouted what with no answer. The next thing I know, my whole body was forced down onto the bed with such force that I banged my head onto the headboard. I was so confused and again, attempted to get up. However, I was unable to move. I felt something crawl onto my bed and sit directly on my chest. Ugh! I could hear Lily barking and whining at the bottom of the stairs. I began to scream the loudest scream I could. However, after five seconds, I discovered that no sound was leaving my mouth. After two minutes of this horrific experience, the weight and pressure lifted, and with that, I jumped out of bed, and the next thing I remember, I woke up the next day on the floor at the top of the stairs. I must have passed out in a panic. Oh my god. I explained what happened to my dad, and obviously he didn't believe me, telling him, telling me I had a vivid dream. A week later, I again decided to stay at my dad's after my shift at the pub. I again found my dad fast asleep on the sofa, and he was so peaceful that this time I decided to leave him and Lily where they were and take full advantage of his beautiful bedroom. There was no way. <laughs> it wasn't there about was no- being a nice daughter. It was wanting his bedroom. <laughs> wanting the nice bed and, and to not sleep in the attic again, which she says. She says, there's no way I would stay in the attic again. I got into bed and I settled down to sleep. An hour later, I awoke to my brother saying my name. I sat up and saw him standing in the doorway out of, in the doorway of the bedroom. I asked what was going on, fearing something had happened to a family member. He said, no, Kim, nothing, nothing has happened. I'm just really scared. Can we go top to tail tonight? My brother and I are best friends and often slept tep- top to tail as children. However, it wasn't something we did at the age of 18 and 21. Plus, my dad had plenty of rooms in the house to pick from. So I said, stop being ridiculous. Go sleep in your own room. Or go sleep in your old room. He said, I can't, Kim. I'm begging you. Please, can I just get in? I'm so scared, but don't ask me why. I reluctantly said, okay, and threw some pillows to the bottom of the bed for him to get comfy. I lay back down, and my brother made his way over. In he jumped. I nearly fell out of the bed. He jumped so hard. Sorry, Kim, he said. Silly twat, I said. I started to settle down, mind turning as to what has freaked my brother out so much. He is a CSI and has seen some horrific things, so I figured something must have really spooked him on his shift to drive 40 minutes out of his way to stay at my dad's house and not at his own. What a cool job, though. (laughs) I then started thinking that my brother never calls me Kim. It's always Kimby or Kimbo. So I sat up and looked at my brother. He was fast asleep. I looked to the doorway, and there was Lily. Hey, baby girl, I said, and tapped the bed. She just stared at me, cocked her head to the side, and began to cry. She then did a 180 and went back downstairs. I forgot about it, went back to sleep. I spent the night wrestling with my brother's feet, digging into me, digging me in the back and kicking me in the face. 
I woke up the next day to the smell of bacon. Dad's special. I went to nudge my brother only to, to discover that he must have already gone downstairs. Oh my God, Down. no. I know where this is going. <laughs> Down I went to find my dad cooking at the storm. Where's Joe? I asked, shoveling food into my gob. What are you on about? My father asked. Joe, he came here last night and got into bed with me, I exclaimed. My dad said, no, Joe's away in London for the weekend, remember? With this, I called my brother, only to, to discover that, yes, he was still in London. So, who sat on my chest and who did I share a bed with at my dad's house? The story comes up regularly at family events with my brother declaring to the room to just say no if I try to get in bed with you. So that's my story. I now live down south in Cambridge, however. When I do go home, I only sleep in my original room and refuse to go to the second and third floor. Thanks, girls. Hope you found this enjoyable. See you on the other side. Kim from sunny old England. Holy crap, Kim. This is terrifying. Terrifying. Because it's beyond, it's beyond just, oh, 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 oh. It's it, beyond someone crawling into bed with you and you falling asleep. That thing yeah. was there all night. She was battling with it when it was kicking her and she thought her brother was just being an awful sleeper. They had a full conversation. Full conversation. He leapt onto the bed or it leapt onto the bed with so much force. And who knows what its intentions were and was this just the beginning of something more that it was trying to do, but because she didn't live there, it wasn't able to. I mean, it's... I think we should all just focus on the hero in this story, which is... Or who is Lily? (laughs) Lily the dog. Nana from Peter Pan. Lily. Right. Oh. Gotta trust your pets, guys. They know everything. If your pet won't go somewhere, neither do you. That's a good rule of thumb. Speaking of, where is my cat? I I just looked. (laughs) So stupid. What'd you do? I looked around my own apartment like I was going (laughs) to find Leia. (laughs) Oh, Maybe she can astral project. I don't know. I hope nothing comes in here. But a cat would be more welcome than anything else. Okay, I have one. Okay. Hi, my name is Amber, and I'm from Virginia. This is an interesting thing that happened to me a few summers ago. One night after Bible study, I went to hang out with some friends. Afterwards, one of my friends planned on taking me home, which was about a 25-minute drive. When we left, it started to storm really badly. We had to pull off and sit in the car for about 20 minutes, and my friend asked his mom if it was okay for me to stay over since it was raining so badly. She said yes, of course. Also, Virginia is a very spooky state to begin with. Between Indian burial grounds, wars, and past slavery, who knows what could be lurking around. Right. So, his parents' house is a huge house on the waterfront. Nice. I was sleeping on the couch. This home was built by the owners, and the whole family was super involved in the local church. Very Christian family, so I felt pretty comfortable and safe. I woke up at 3 a.m., of course, and I was out of breath. At first, I forgot where I was, and I looked outside. The storm had subdued, and I saw a dark figure outside by the swing set. Oh, I blinked my eyes a few times, remembering where I was, and then it vanished. My body was in complete shock as I slowly realized that it had felt like I was raped. 
I was so young and I had never had sex before and I almost started crying as I wondered if it was an incubus or succubus. I eventually fell back asleep and I felt gross for the next few days. Oh my god! I've also dealt with regular sleep paralysis. Thanks for reading and check out some spooky Virginia stories. Amber. Wow. It's interesting because this wasn't an experience where she or at least she doesn't remember going through the actual attack herself, but she woke up and saw the dark figure and then realized that her body had felt right. like she had been assaulted. But like, I mean, think about your, she was so young. She had never experienced or had any sexual experiences before. Your mind would shut it out. It, it would try to make up false memories or it would, it would make sense that she thought she was sleeping the whole time. Right. Because her mind can't comprehend the horror of what just happened. <sighs> and it's just, uh, this is proof. That's, I mean, I don't want to scare people, but she was staying in a very Christian home. And it was a brand new build. But then again, <sighs> we don't know everyone's situations and we don't know the power of demons. So Right. It's just so horrible and sad, and I really, truly hope that no one ever has to go through this, and... Everyone's going to be praying to see a BEK over this. I know. Y'all thought you guys were scared of black-eyed kids? Uh Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I'm drained after this episode. It is draining. Should I give a little tease at what I'm wearing? Something a little happier? Oh, yeah. I'm wearing a future merch item. Yes, she is. Which means that merch is coming soon. It's coming soon. It's basically so people know and aren't like, well, if you have it, why can't we have it? Yeah. The some of we have a bunch of ideas for merch. Mm -hmm. We have some of them designed, so we're going to release those some items but before releasing them to you guys we wanted to make sure it was good quality and then it looked okay so we We ordered items for ourselves for a uh, quality check yes quality is important to us i should get everything like next week or something and then once we we know that they're good we'll click launch yes And speaking of, I am so, because this is such a nice way to end the episode, I am so grateful for all of our listeners and the people who have donated to our Patreon. It just blows my mind. I mean, I honestly, genuinely, Corinne, I'm sure you feel the same way. I really feel like you guys are all our best friends. I, we interact with you guys on social media. We answer your emails and I really do feel like you're my friends. And the fact (laughs) that we know people's names too, which is even, you guys are our pen pals basically. Seriously. And just the fact that you guys are willing to help donate to our podcast and see us grow means the world to us. And if you haven't already donated and if, if you feel so inclined or if you have the means, we would greatly appreciate if you donated to our Patreon and we promise to make it worth your while. We will give you gifts and bonus episodes and content and all of that fun stuff. It means so much to us. It really does. We're blown away by the support that we've gotten. It's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, it is an awesome feeling. So thank you. 
Thank you. And we just want to keep growing and grow this community and you guys can help us do that. So in addition to, or just to do it, if you have the ability and want to post about us on social media and share our podcast with your friends, it would mean the world to us. Word, Word of, of mouth, mouth is pretty huge. Is That's huge. honestly how I listen to most of the podcasts that I listen to. Yeah, same. People have told me about them. Just go around telling everyone about our podcast. Meet, tell strangers. Tell the ice cream parlor guy. I don't know what the term is. Okay. All right. Okay. We have social media. We have a Facebook group that you can mm-hmm. join and be a part of the discussion and funny posts and memes and scary videos and all that yes. jazz. We also have a Facebook page that you can like. It's like liking a business. So you just like us. You can rate us five stars on there. Speaking of yep. rating, iTunes Please. ratings. Please. That's what keeps us on the top 200 on the comedy podcast so it's very important if you haven't rated and reviewed us already we would really appreciate if you could do that because that keeps us relevant that keeps other people recognizing us and finding us and hopefully building a community getting more ghost stories getting more support and it takes two minutes yeah so please do it and if you have a story of your own that you want to share, please email us. Our email is twogirls1ghostpodcast at gmail.com. If yes. you are confused about anything that I've just said, you can always check out our website, twogirls1ghostpodcast.com. And Which our email's print? there, all the instructions, all the episodes. If your listening yeah. device goes crazy and you can't listen, you can yes. use your desktop or whatever. And Corinne website. just... Corinne just edited our website, so go take a look at it because it looks amazing. Yes, and you can judge my website editing skills and how good I it, am at listening to instructions on YouTube. Don't judge her. Just tell her how great it is because it is amazing. And she has done <laughs> she put so much time and effort into it, and I'm blown away. It's amazing. Thanks. So, I'll never get a big head because, <laughs> Sabrina, you had messaged me the other day, and you were like, did you see this really nice thing that this person said about you? And I was like, yeah, but right under, someone commented like an opposite thing. <laughs> <laughs> you guys keep us level. They agreed with the person above them, but then added a... <laughs> it's okay. I don't want to get a big head. And it, it, you ground me. You keep me at one consistent line. I'll which be your weight. Decent. I'll be your weight to keep you down if you be my weight to keep me down. Okay. One, you get one compliment today, but then we're going to end the day in a <laughs> That's a, a really good way to stay friends with someone. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, lastly, I will say in relation to our topic, um, if you have experienced this, if you know people who have experienced this, you know... We are here if you want to talk about it. There are, I am sure there are resources. Dr. Taff, he still does all this stuff. If you want to reach out to him, he still researches paranormal phenomena. And we believe you. We believe people and all of their ghost experiences. And we hope you know you're not alone. You're never alone. You're never alone. <laughs> all right, you guys. Please Thanks come back joining. next week. We will make it a little bit lighter. Yes. Um, we'll try to be funny. That's a stretch. We'll try. And that's also a lot, like of effort. a lot of pressure now. 
too much pressure we'll just we'll be normal <laughs> we'll be us we yeah and you guys be you perfect okay perfect all right okay thanks for showing up we will see you on the other side <laughs>